Open them to Isaiah 43. We'll get there in a minute. Just leave it open. And we're going to be kind of teaching through the better part of that chapter. Um, How many of you try and keep one area of life in order, even when everything else just totally goes to chaos, right? It's like work's work's a mess, and and personal life's a mess, but maybe your pantry is organized. And you find strange comfort in sometimes just going to the pantry and stand and look, because this is the one area that you can control. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. We find ourselves in interesting times that would have been unimaginable just a few years earlier because it feels like we don't have one area of our life together. Like so many different parts of our culture and our life are kind of chaos. These are interesting times that would have been unimaginable 15 years ago, yet these situations exist both on the macro level, on the big level, and down on the micro level. This is what I mean by this. Culturally, on the macro level, We are overdriving our headlights as a culture. We are making decisions and changes in our culture that will affect us down the road and we can't even see how. For example, how we talk about and how we think about things like gender. We are making snap decisions as a culture that are going to provide problems not far hence and we're not even thinking about it. One example, not just gender roles, but how we think about gender. We are victimizing people with our willingness to experiment with the idea of gender. Earlier this week, I saw a news story on a drag troupe, transgender and drag troupe dedicated to people with Down syndrome. In what world would that not be considered exploitation? But in our culture, it's just the way we're we're, we're making decisions so quickly, we don't know what we're going to hit when we hit it. That's the macro level. On the personal level, we're, we're all facing challenges we could not have imagined earlier. You know, it used to be that a 30 year old would look back and say, I didn't realize when I was 20, life was so complicated. Now 60-year-olds are looking back at the time they were 50 and saying, I didn't know life was going to be so complicated because our life as we know it is just so different than it was just a few years ago. Even the bridge was born out of this season of great uncertainty that no generation has known, probably in our culture since World War II, that it's been this chaotic in our own lives. The months and years of this, maybe it's just me, but it's taken a toll. And while it's always important, more than ever, we need to be cognizant of what the Lord is saying and hear him in the moment. You might have been blessed with a life where for a season you were able to coast. Let me explain. That season is over. Okay? I'm not saying that prophetically. I'm just smart enough to look around. And the days of being able to coast on something the Lord told you 30 years ago and not hearing him in the moment are coming to a rapid end. Like we've got to live that closely to him. He is saying that the world is changing so quickly that your experience, what you have known in the past, even though it served you well, has a shorter and shorter shelf life. And you have to hear what he's saying in the moment. Psalm 1 describes the life of somebody who literally delights in what he's going to say next. 
It talks about he's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yield fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. In all he does, it prospers. That's talking about a person who hears from the Lord on a day-to-day basis. It's like you hear him fresh, you'll prosper. Some of you are really strategic. You've got plans for this week and this month and this, you've got a five-year plan and some of you have a 10-year plan and Lord just thinks those are so cute especially if he wasn't there for part of the planning. You have to understand, he didn't sign off on all the plans of your heart. And actually, there are times when he introduces chaos to the plans of your heart because it opens a door for him to instruct you. And in the instructing of you and you responding to his instruction in the moment, something beautiful happens, and he loves that. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's not a person in this room who hasn't charged off boldly and then found themselves going another direction they didn't anticipate because the Lord said, yeah, that's cute. Let's go this way. Psalm 33.10 says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of his people. Have you ever had a plan frustrated? I'm trying to think of a plan that I haven't had frustrated, right? Because like, oh, I got clarity. And it goes that direction. Sometimes the Lord instructs us by scrambling our eggs, okay? Like we got it all in a bowl and we look down and we're like, that's not what I thought was going to happen at all. Ultimately, every plan that comes from the heart of man, well-intentioned or not, and some of you have beautifully well-intentioned plans, all those plans are scrambled. Even the good ones. His plan going forward is the only one that's going to work. And we have not lived in days like we live. It's not like nobody has, but we haven't. So because we haven't, we have no grid from which to plan. And the plans that we've made don't turn out. To us, it feels unprecedented. Now, probably my least favorite word of the last three years. Okay, we've heard it so much. It's unprecedented. Most of the things that are happening are not unprecedented. They're actually just, we're unfamiliar with them. They've happened somewhere, they just haven't happened to us. And if something hasn't happened to us, we think it's never happened ever in the world. We've reinvented the, world, the word to mean we have no experience of it. There's very little that's really unprecedented to God's people. Everything around us may change, but we build our life on a bedrock of consistency called the Lord. He is, there's this beautiful picture of consistency and continuity in God. Even though everything goes crazy around us, he's very consistent and very continuous. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. O children of Jacob, therefore you're not consumed. I don't change. Later, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in this world that we live in, where everything seems to change, where every plan we seem to make kind of goes this way, there's one constant And it's God, and he makes this point from the Old Testament to the New. He's like, I'm here, I'm solid, your plans are cute, but if you really want to make headway, you need to tune into what I'm saying, because I'm the only one who's been here before. It is not outside the scope of God or the scope of God's people to be led through what we would call unprecedented times with clarity. 
It's a complicated way of saying no matter what happens, others have been here and have done this in some form or fashion. Maybe they learned the lessons that we can learn or they failed to learn lessons and we can learn from that. But the teacher has remained constant. So with this idea in mind, I really want to turn to Isaiah 43 because the times we live in are unique to us, but they're not exactly unique. God is not inexperienced in navigating these waters. If you go to Isaiah 43, everything they knew has been destroyed and they cannot see what is happening next. Some of you are like, oh, I relate to this. Yeah, my whole world fell apart and I don't see where I'm going. Okay, I'm here for Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 is the word of the Lord to people that are between seasons. But it's not between a hard season and an easy season. It's between a hard season and another hard season. The difference is the second hard season comes in with a promise from God. And if you have a promise from God, you can endure any season. God does not change, but he does different things in different seasons. And this is his word of the Lord in between seasons. Now, we like new things, or we say we do, until we get new things, right? And then the adjustments that it takes to learn how to navigate in the new way are so overwhelming that we tend to think, I liked the old thing better than I liked the new thing, even though we asked for the new thing. And then we feel dumb because we like the old thing, because we hated the old thing too. But that has been a mark on human character from the beginning of time. The Jews said, I really would like to go back to Egypt. You do remember we were in slavery in Egypt. Yeah, but it was familiar. The, we're going to learn here, the Lord wants to do something new, and some of us will struggle with the new, even though the new is so much better than the old. So here we have Isaiah 43, and it's in this middle place where they don't really know what's going to happen yet, and the the word to us would be, be flexible with it. If you ask the Apostle Paul, what was the secret to your ministry across the decades in so many different contexts, I honestly think he would, one of the things he would say was, I was flexible. He talks about it in Philippians 4, 12 to 14. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any of every circumstances, I learned the secret. He's like, I got this. I understand how to do different things in different seasons, and it's flexibility. So with this value of flexibility and this eye to the future, we want to look at Isaiah 43, to written to people in between seasons. How do we position our heart so we don't have this acerbic reaction to the new thing that God is doing and race back to the old thing? When, now, whenever I look at a passage, I like to look at the context. It's super important. Friends, do not play Bible bingo, okay? With your Bible reading, don't just flip the Bible open. Some of you are like, can you, you know that I do that? Yes, I know you do that. Don't do that. Your devotions get very weird when you do that. It's like the guy who, you know, Lord, I'll just I'll flip open the Bible. And he flips open the Bible. And Judas went out and hung himself. It's like, okay, well, he flips it over. Go, though, and do likewise. No, you know, you can't. Don't play Bible bingo. Like, look at context, okay? So Isaiah 43, in context, because he speaks to us in context. It's split in two sections. There are good times, like I said, they're, they're not good and bad, it's, it's bad and also bad, but the also bad portion comes with a promise. I heard Bill Johnson say something this week that, man, I just latched onto. He said, there are 7,000 promises in the Bible and they're all looking for a heart to, be, to call home. 
Like the words of the Lord that you read in the Bible are looking for a place to rest. And if you can say yes to those promises, you find them there. So the two sections of Isaiah, okay? Some of you are like, we're gonna get to Isaiah? We are. Two sections in Isaiah. The first section, chapters one through 39, is the Assyrian section, okay? What happens in one through 39 is the people of God are split into two kingdoms, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and like brothers, they immediately start to fight. And they not only fight with each other, but they partner with pagan kings nearby, and then they gang up. It's like you ganging up with the neighbor kid on your sibling. And they fight amongst each other, and of course the neighbor kids eventually turn on them too. It's a time of great warfare, and both kingdoms really are decimated through sections 1 through 39. It's hard. At about chapter 39... The people of God are carted off to Babylon. They're captured and they are hauled off in this diaspora and they go to Babylon. Not everybody, but most of them. When we read the book of Daniel and read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are the people that are hauled off to Babylon at that breaking point. And then chapters 40 to 66 are the Babylonian period. Most of the population of Israel now has been carted off to Babylon. They are there. So it's not like it's bad and good. It's bad and also bad. But also bad includes the prophecies of Isaiah where he promises them a future. He talks to them about the days to come. He talks to them about a season that he doesn't even see. He never lives to see it. But these books find their way to Babylon And they pour over these latter chapters of Isaiah in captivity and read of the promises of God. So this morning I want to look at the bulk of one chapter that's very near that turning point between hard and also hard, but is filled with hope. The message of God for your life is not that things are suddenly going to get easy. I'm sorry, some of you look terribly disappointed. Okay, that message of God is not that suddenly things are going to get easy, it's that things are going to be hard and different, but he's gonna carry you through that. The Bible doesn't say blessed are those who dodge a bullet. Okay, like some of us, we, something could have happened to us, doesn't happen to it, well, we're just so blessed. Well, what about the guy who got hit? Stinks to be him. No, no, James 1 Chapter 12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast through trial. You have the opportunity to go through hard things and be blessed at the same time. Blessing is not ease. Blessing is sustenance. And he said, no, I can sustain you through hard times. So we're gonna remain faithful and when God moves in our situation, it will exceed our wildest hopes and our dreams, but all we bring to the table is faithfulness and flexibility. That's all we have to offer. So looking at Isaiah 43, which at this point some of you have wondered if I've forgotten about Isaiah. I'm just setting the table. Isaiah 43 is a promise made to captive people between seasons. And it starts with a reality check. Now remember the setting, the people that are reading this are slaves. And Isaiah prophesies to them, 43 verse 1. But now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob who formed you, O Israel, fear not. They're like, okay, I like that. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. There are times, and it's more than I care to admit, when the word of the Lord will cause us to scratch our heads. 
what? Wait a minute here. What are you saying? I redeemed you. I called you by name. You are mine. You do know I'm still in prison. He says, yeah, yeah, I, I redeemed you though. Your life state, your inner man, you're free. You're not, you're in circumstances, but you're not under the circumstances. And he says, I, I call you mine. I call you by name. Some of you live so, such guarded lives. You don't want anybody really to know the whole story. He's like, guess what? I know the whole story and the part you didn't even tell yourself. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. And in spite of that, you're mine. Even though I know your whole story, you are mine. You belong to me. So here they are in captivity hearing this from the Lord. And there's got to be some confusion here. They're like, my circumstances don't line up with my promises. How many of you have promises that are not reflected in your current circumstances? It's like nobody knows the promise. I don't feel free. I don't feel different. I don't feel like I belong. I'm a little lost between seasons, neither of which appear to be positive. And you're giving me a pep talk about your mind? What he's doing is not telling them what they want to hear. He's telling them what they need to hear, which is that they belong to the Lord. Pray that you hear what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You can pay people to tell you what you want to hear. Like that's... You can pay me to tell you. I mean, talk to me later. We'll make a deal. But what you need to hear always comes from the Lord. And when you're going from one bad season to another one that looks like it could be hard, you need to hear what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Now, there are reasons that we don't see alignment between the promises of the Lord and our current circumstances. The big one is that there are lessons that are only learned in seasons of discomfort. There just are. There are things you do not learn when everything is going wonderfully. So what you don't want to do is waste a perfectly good in incarceration. Like if I'm going from bad to also bad, can I pick up the lessons here? Can I learn from this so that I can go on with life? Tested faith makes you who you really are and it reveals all of those things that he said about you are actually true. Some of you remember the, the old worship song, He Gives and Takes Away. You know, there were churches that got mad at that song and wouldn't sing it. I, no kidding. I had friends on staff at church, the pastor banned the song because it was discouraging. Until the Lord takes away and then you have no place to wrestle with that. Some of you may remember the name Gary Wings, longtime guy here in Kansas City, prophetic guy. Uh, was married uh, to Mary, Mary, Mary Marie, get her name wrong. She, uh, she died at a fairly early age. They were probably in their 50s. She went to be with the Lord. And we sang this song at her funeral. And I remember Gary getting up and holding his Bible and said, I've preached this. We've preached this entire, our entire lives. And the crazy thing is I still believe the whole thing. He's like, I believe the words even when seasons seem to go from, from hard to even harder. Now Isaiah, with the word of the Lord, starts to reference what they have faced and what they will face. Isaiah 43, 2, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Though you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame will not consume you. Now, so to a people who he just declared were free and his, he starts talking to them about water and fire. 
What's super interesting here is he is referencing both the past and the future for them. He makes this throwback comment about water referring to their escape from Egypt, which over time they have begun to understand that entire dilemma was the hand of the Lord that had guided them. How many of you look back at difficult seasons and you can see the hand of the Lord much more clearly than you could in the middle of them, right? You go, okay, yeah, maybe he was, I felt alone and felt terrible, but yeah, I saw now how he was leading me. That's how they had come to look in the book of, of Exodus and them leaving Egypt, Exodus 14, 1 and 2. Hear this. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of a place I'm not even going to try and pronounce, between Migdoy and the sea in front of another place I'm not going to pronounce, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. So the Lord leads them to this place, tells him, turn around, back against the water. Oh yeah, the Egyptians are coming for you. Like, wait a minute. We're in a serious jam. And we're in a serious jam that the Lord led us into. Now, not many verses after this, they're going to realize that they're trapped. We've probably forgotten, but they remembered they were in that trap because the Lord led them into that. When obedience of the Lord leads you into a tight spot, and it does, he is leading you into that tight spot to show you deliverance. And that's what he says. He, he, Isaiah references back. You were led, you were literally led into a trap by the hand of the Lord, and then I showed you your deliverance. As time passes between you and trials, you see them differently, and you see how the hand of the Lord was in all of that. The sooner you can come to peace with your season of trial as a, being a great setup for the hand of the Lord, the sooner you see the goodness of God. You don't have to like it, but you do have to realize the struggle he calls you into is one that he calls you into so he can deliver you. How many of you have followed God's direction to the letter and found yourself in a real quagmire? Like you've done something out of obedience and that did not turn out how you thought. I remember a time where a couple of radical decisions that Kelsey and I made in obedience to the Lord put a significant strain on our finance and resources. I cannot overstate how significant this strain was. Let's just say there was a long season where we were putting gas in the truck like 10 bucks at a time. Some of you have been there. You're like, $10, uh, a couple of gallons, here we go. That, it was that kind of thing. And I really struggled because I knew we had heard the Lord say do X, Y, Z. And we did X, Y, Z. And all of a sudden, here we were, back against the Red Sea. Here comes the army. This does not look good. I remember telling a friend, and I, I had to go back and repent later, but I said, we have ministered ourselves into a corner. Like we did what the Lord told us, and now I don't know what to do. Life is full of struggle. You find yourself trapped one way or the other. Be determined that the jams you find yourself in are the ones that God leads you to, not the ones you find your own way into. Because life is a series of crises anyway. You might as well be doing ones in service of him. And I can testify, having felt the strain of need, even the obedience to the Lord, that he is faithful, although he seems totally unencumbered by my timeline. And so here he's reminding them in verse 2, I have a track record of leading you into jams and getting you out of jams. Some of you have stories like that that you literally have to retell yourself because they give you hope. 
in uncertain times, you've got to lean back on those stories or borrow stories from other people until you get your own. Let me loan you one. In this season that I'm describing, that out of obedience, we found ourselves in this jam, we suddenly had a massive bill that we had to pay. Now, understand that financially massive means different things to different people. More money than you have is massive, okay? It doesn't matter if it's six digits, seven digits, two digits. More than you have is massive. So it was massive to us. More mo- we suddenly owed more money than we've ever had in one spot at one time. And uh, we had some time. We knew between it was due then, but here we are, and there's no way to get it. We're, you know, we're asking each other, can you live with one kidney? Like, what, what would it take for us to get out of this jam because I'm willing to start selling parts off. And in that position where we saw no way forward, a couple of days before the bill is due, the Lord speaks to me really clearly. I'm in prayer and he says, quit worrying about it. And uh, Kelsey was not as enthusiastic about that word from the Lord. Like she's like, what do you mean quit worrying about it? Well, so far I've worried about it for months. It's had no effect. And I just really have a peace about it. The next day, we, from a, somebody we hadn't talked to in years, we get a check in the mail and a note that said, my son had an emergency room visit. It was very expensive. And when the bill came, I looked at that bill and she said, I was so overwhelmed with gratitude that we had health insurance that we did, even though we could pay that bill, we didn't have to pay that bill. And the Lord spoke to me and said, pay that bill for somebody else who probably doesn't have the advantage. And she wrote out a check, which was literally within a few dollars of the amount that we had owed. And I retell myself this story, that even though I've been in tight circumstances, the Lord is faithful. That's what Isaiah is telling him that he goes, no, I led you into jams and I've gotten you out of them. I could tell you stories of enough 11th hour miracles. You might even question our sanity. You might like, you know, Randy, you got so many of these stories. You make a lot of dumb mistakes. No, actually, I've been kind of obedient. And these stories follow that. Remember, God doesn't change. And then to prove it, he quits referencing history, quits going back, and then he starts talking about the future to them. He tells them, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames will not consume you. And you can tell the people of Israel, they're reading this, they're like, oh, I remember the water thing. Fire? I don't remember fire. I would have thought we would have remembered fire. What he is referencing here, he's prophesying the day when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will refuse to bow before the idol and they will be thrown into the fire. He's like ahead of time referencing this. You can almost hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're facing the fire. In Daniel 3.17, when they say, we're not going to bow, and they said, we're going to throw you into the fire, and they say, if this be so, our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. What What are they replaying in their head at that point? When I walk through the fire, I shall not be burned, and the flames will not consume us. Your response to struggle is found in the promises that God has given you. 
They're like, no, 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 God called this one way back, and so I'm gonna pull on that promise, and in the middle of crisis, I'm gonna respond with the words that he gave me because he said I'm gonna go into this situation, but I'm gonna come out. God has already determined how he wants to respond to the fire that you are going to walk into. Like, it's coming. He knows what he wants to do. The only variable is how you respond. That's it. Some of you go, and I say some of you, I mean most, goes to, go to a level 11 in response to any kind of crisis. Something bad happens, and you, just, you crank up the anxiety meter, Okay. The Lord knew you were going to go into that situation. The Lord knows how he's going to get out of that situation. The only variable in the whole equation is you, and you're turning it up to 11. It's like, no, no, dial it down, rest on the other parts of this story, and know that I've prophesied this before you even get into that. Now, if I know that I have God behind me in my story, and I know that I have God before me in my story, I can stand where I am. If I know he's in my history and he's in my future, I can, like the moment I'm into is not overwhelming anymore. Now he doesn't just give them a promise though. He also gives them a plan, which is good because a promise without a plan is just a wish. God doesn't just have good wishes for you. He's got a promise, but he's got a plan. Whenever uh, young couples tell me we're engaged, I always ask them, do you have a ring and do you have a date? Because that's a plan, okay? That I, I, I want to know, is that because I'll start marking off days on my schedule if you got a, a ring and a date. But up until then, you got, you got a wish. But a plan makes it concrete. In Isaiah 43, 5 and 6, he tells them, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. I will bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What's he saying here? He's saying to those of you that are in Babylon, I'm calling you back. Israel's rich history is not over, even though the city's been decimated and most of the people have been carted off. No group of people in history have been counted as dead more times than the Jewish people. How many times through history were they carted off, spread across the world, to the point that even the nation ceased to exist for years and years and years and years? Now, we're used to seeing Israel in the news every day. There were decades where there was no Israel to be in the news because the country did not exist. We've learned over the last century, you can obliterate a political entity and a nation from the face of the earth and you can scatter the people. You can kill six million of them in prison camps. And if God calls them back, they come back and a nation is formed. Now, interestingly, in Isaiah's time, those who stayed back, because I told you, not everybody went to Babylon. There were some who stayed back. Those who stayed back turned out worse off than those who were hauled away. Decades later, when those who were hauled away were granted safe passage to come back, they came back expecting to find this vibrant remnant. You would think that the ones that didn't have to go into captivity would have maintained their culture and maintained their worship and maintained their connection with God. What they found out was the ones that had not gone to captivity ended up marrying in with the pagan neighbors. 
and adjusting their culture to those around us. In fact, those that stayed back in Jerusalem were actually a major hindrance in the rebuilding of the city. You read Nehemiah. It's almost as if the role of difficult times preserved their faith rather than obliterated it. There are times when struggle does more for our faith than ease does. Sometimes it's prison that keeps us closer to God. If you are in a tight situation right now, it's financial, relational, you're like, I'm in that, it was bad, it looks like it would be bad, I feel very confined. Perhaps that season is to press you into him in a way that you would not press into if everything was hunky-dory. Because what we look at as the blessing of God, we largely interpret as everything being easy for us. And when things are easy for us, we get very curious about lots of different things. And those who stayed back in Jerusalem actually walked away from Jehovah. Those that went off to encampment in Babylon drew closer to him. So he's got a promise, he's got a plan, but he's also got a strategy. Like, Randy, what is the difference between a plan and a strategy? A plan focuses on a long-term goal. Yes, I'm calling them all back. But I've also got a strategy. Strategies accomplish plans. And God has both for your life. A promise without a plan is a wish, but a plan without a strategy, not much better. And God has a strategy to gather them back and to get you out of the prison season that you're in. Isaiah 43, 18, he goes on to tell them, Remember not the former things, and nor consider the things of old. Stop for a second. You're like, wait a minute. He was just talking about the past. He just told us about the past, and how, now he's telling us not to remember that. Why is God changing course here so radically? Literally, a few verses earlier, he's reminding them of how he delivered them from Egypt, and now he's saying, yeah, forget all that. What are we supposed to do? It's like he's confusing here. Right? It's like the story of the, you know, the guy who goes up to, for prayer at the old Pentecostal church. He's got one intercessor screaming into his ear, hold on, hold on, hold on. Another intercessor screaming to the other ear, yelling, let go, let go. He's like, I don't know what to do here. They were a little bit like that. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? It's like he says, remember, and now he says, forget. We are supposed to look back for encouragement, but not necessarily direction. Because his plans, and particularly his strategy, changes. Because God is faithful, he's also creative, and we need to live in a season that we've never lived before. We need to anticipate his intervention is going to look maybe differently than it has in the past. If these days are unprecedented for us, then whatever strategy he gives us is going to be different than what we have known. And this morning, in just a minute, I want to take a little time and I want to pray for the strategy forward for the bridge. Can I be gut level, pastoral, honest with you for a minute? Some of you are a little afraid. <laughs> I thought you were doing that. No, I am. Okay. But just to be very honest, I am seeking the Lord for his strategy for us forward. And it is way bigger than just going, is there a different building? Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
He gives them a responsibility to perceive what the new thing is. He's like, you getting it? Are you hearing me? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. They are so far into Babylon that even if they were loosed from their prison bondage, they don't know how they'd find their way back. They're like, we were led here. They put us on camels and hauled us off or we marched. Like if if they told us we're free, we wouldn't know what to do. He's like, no, no, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to make the way for you to get there. Now that's exciting, except for those who've had any measure of success in the way of doing new things because you know that new things are often not understood. So what we do is we fall back to the way things have always been. When we started the bridge... One of the words over these, this people was that it was going to be new and it was going to be different. And partially due to the constraints of the season that we're in, but let's be honest, partially for our own comfort, what we have fallen back into feels a lot like what we knew. We sing, I preach, we eat donuts, and it's good but it's not the new thing. He, boy, it's quiet in here. He wants, you know why, he's, you know why it's quiet? Because that new thing's a little scary. It's like, only because I don't know what it is. Yeah, wait till we know what it is. It'll still, I mean, and I, and I don't have some grand plan I'm, I'm laying out to you. I'm just saying, I am so hungry for the new direction. Now, Leadership 101, which I probably failed, would be to form that whole plan behind closed doors and come out and say, ta-da, and sell it to you. I don't have it. Just being honest. I've got pieces. Some of you have pieces. Some pieces aren't here yet. But I don't want to not ask for it until I have the whole thing. I don't want to keep it behind closed doors, plan, and then roll it out and pretend I just heard it from the Lord and say, surprise. That's, that's not family, okay? I want to ask if our worship team would come back. What the Lord does in new seasons is often misunderstood and difficult to deal with. 